All right, Acts chapter 8. Tonight we're going to be through 26, verse 26 through 40. Uh, but we won't read that yet. Yeah, I want to start with a story. Uh, there was a time uh, where, where I was at Cross Point in Tennessee where uh, I was teaching children's church every week, uh, which nothing I think in the world will sanctify you more uh, than teaching children's church every week. And I remember there were times where I would have a lesson and then one of the kids would have a kid question. I just decided to do this. Let the kid have a kid question, right? And what we'll do is we'll answer the question with the Bible because I wanted to show them that there are actual answers. I don't know if you ever do this with your children, but most of the time when Addie asks me a question and I'm tired, I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out later, right? Uh, and so I thought church would be a great time for when they have questions, giving them Bible answers. And so I had uh, the lesson talking about we are made in the image of God, that we are made this way. And we had mirrors that showed that we are made to reflect God and who he is. And I had a kid ask a kid question. That kid question is, why are some people, uh, why do some people have black skin and other people have white skin? And I was like, wow, okay. Um, it was a little awkward at first, right? Uh, and so we, we dove right into that. And so uh, we began thinking about these questions. We had all these, and it just opened up floodgates, right? Because we went through, it was like a, uh, it's a small world ride. We just went through all the different nationalities, right? Why are people Chinese? Where do they come from? And so on, so on. Why do we look like people from Europe? I mean, just amazing. Why do all these things happen? And so I didn't think there was any reason. I sh probably should have been embarrassed by the question, but I was a little bit. But don't be if your kids are learning about geography and they ask you that question because we, we have the answers. Uh, we, we do. We have the answers as to why this happened. We say, well, there was a time after the flood where God divided the people. There was a uh, concentration of people in what's called Shem in the area that we know as the Middle East, right? The Semites, these were people uh, then that moved north. There was another group of people uh, that moved north to the east. They were called Japheth, which is technically what we know as Gentile people of the scriptures. And then a large body of people went into the African continent, the descendants of Ham. And of course, we know not only just that, but then the curse of, of Babel took place. And after that, not only were there migrations of people in different areas, but then God sent divisions among the people using different languages. And it made it difficult for the people to understand one another and still does and, and so on and so forth. So we have all this in the Old Testament. So you ever get that question, now you've got to answer. But we have all this in the Old Testament. And really, when we come to a passage like this in Acts 8, it gives us a framework to where we approach passages that are about missions. So let's, let's recap and remember the significance of, of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Remember the Spirit ascends, descends down on the day of Pentecost. It's a special, unique act of the Spirit with a special filling of the Apostle Peter. Peter preaches to these largely Semitic people, Shem's descendants, who are in Jerusalem, and each one is hearing the amazing wonders of God in their own languages. And it's amazing. We pointed out that that's really the beginning of the undoing of the curse of Babel. Even at that time, some mongrel people now, where we're at in Acts 8, we call them mongrel Semitic people in Samaria, the half-breeds, right? They're now hearing the gospel under the ministry of, remember the deacon in Acts chapter 8? Philip, that's right, absolutely. And so uh, they're now getting to hear the gospel here. Uh, now later, 
In Acts chapter 10, those Gentiles are going to get to hear the gospel through a, a guy named Cornelius, which is interesting, by the way. If you ever meet somebody who is, who is strongly racist, I want you to remind them of something, because in Acts chapter 8, what we see is the gospel, before it goes to the Gentile, goes to the Ethiopian. So just remind somebody, if you ever have somebody who has a problem with skin color, that we're all made in God's image, if they have an issue with that, to remind them that actually the white man's last when it comes to the approach of getting the gospel of Christ, right? Middle Eastern, Jewish first, Acts chapter 8, we've got the Sumerians, the half-breed, the end of Acts chapter 8, we've got Africans, Acts chapter 9 and 10, we have Greeks, Gentiles. You're welcome for that. Uh, That's free. All right, so that's why Acts 8 is so significant, because the gospel here is going to representatively an Ethiopian, one who is a representative of the Hamitic peoples of Africa. And so this is our text, Acts 8, 26 through 40. We're dealing with Philip and the eunuch. So we need to ask the question as we study this text, why such a focus on the eunuch? And we're going to do this in a simple way. You got simple notes tonight, right? Do it in a simple way. I'm going to share with you the story. We're going to go verse by verse through the story, and you just got a space there to take notes. Uh, Stop me if you have a question. Stop me if you want me to repeat something. Put a hand up in the air. I know it's a little intimidating with a big crowd tonight, but that's okay. Put your hand up in the air. We'll take care of that question. And then really at the very, very, very end of the message, we've got five quick points. So if it gets to a point where you're looking at your clock and we haven't filled in those spaces or blanks on your page yet, don't worry. That's on the last page, okay? It's coming to an end, okay? So Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. And since we're going to go through all of that, uh, just verse by verse, I'm not going to read the entire thing, Pastor Justin. So uh, don't give me that look, no. Uh, (laughs) So let's start looking at the setting and situation, first of all, in verses 26 through 28. And so look at this. The angel of the Lord speaks to Philip, and what it says, it says, but an angel of the Lord, verse 26, spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So I want everybody to look up here, and we're going to have a pretend makeshift map that you're going to have to imagine in your minds, right? What we have here is Jerusalem, right, where the church started, where Pentecost came, and then we saw last week that where Philip is, is actually 40 miles to the north in Samaria, where he has a wonderful ministry there, and now what does the angel of the Lord say? The angel of the Lord says, not only go back south 40 miles to Jerusalem, but go to this place that's called the Gaza Strip, a desert road that is going to lead all the way down here to Egypt and then what is now Sudan and eventually Ethiopia. And part of that was the Ethiopian Empire um, at that time. Did you get all that in your map? If I asked you to draw that right now, would you be able to? Well, then you're not going to pass the quiz coming up if that's the case, all right? So uh, remember, I want you to think about this. During the ministry of the Samaria, Philip had a tremendous ministry to the, to the half-breeds, right? There's wonderful things happening. They see the power of God over Simon the sorcerer. Amazing things are happening here. And then right in the middle of a booming ministry, the angel of the Lord says, Philip, get up from where you're at. Make that trip 40 to 50 miles south to Jerusalem and then go to Gaza, which we know about Gaza from this text, that it is a desert road. 
Now, it's interesting to me why it tells us it's a desert road. I don't know, but I would suggest the reason is this. Samaria was a heavily populated area. A lot of people there. And not only that, there's tremendous ministry going on. This is thrilling for Philip. These, these half-pagan, half-Jews are receiving the gospel. Then Remember, they are rejoicing in Christ. The apostles come and they see the genuine work of the Spirit of God. And then right in the middle of that, the angel comes and says, Philip, not only do you need to leave here now, but you're going to go to the desert. You can imagine Philip saying, why? Why would I leave such a fruitful ministry here? Or, or Lord, how about this? Think about this, God. I don't, know, I don't know if you thought about this, God, but, but Peter and John just went back down to Jerusalem. I'm sure they got nothing going on. They're already there. Why don't you send them down to the desert road? But he didn't say that. Philip just goes to the deserted place. Why? Because the Lord has won just one he's going to save that's there. And if, if Jesus died for that eunuch, which he did, and Jesus will see the labor of his soul and be satisfied, and he will, and if he sends ministers to bring the gospel, then he's surely free to take Philip up and move him to that particular place at that particular time. So Jerusalem to Gaza, we got a change of venue. Verse 27. So he got up and went. Love it. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now just stop and think about this, okay? Picture this with me. This is a deserted area. He's on this deserted road going down toward Gaza, and he sees a man, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians, who was actually in charge of all of her money. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's returning from Jerusalem going back down. He's on that road that you would go down if you were headed towards Egypt. He's an Ethiopian. Ethiopia was called the country of the burnt skin because of the dark skin of the people. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 13, 23, it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. They were marked as a people by a beautiful, handsome, dark skin. So he was an Ethiopian in an area that was not predominantly populated with people with that kind of skin color. But this was a man who had some power. He was in charge of all the money. But no, he was a eunuch. These were the ones who would show as an act of loyalty by the act of castration to be particularly loyal. And in this case, he's loyal to the queen. He could be trusted. And we see this because not only is he away with all the money, but He's trusted to go that far away and be in charge of all the money. He has come to Jerusalem, and it says he came there to worship. Maybe it was at Pentecost. Maybe it was some other feast or for some other reason. But the point is, he's going back to his land. And church, I love this because when God is going to save somebody, they will never get out of his jurisdiction. Because there were no apostles that would go to Egypt. 
Ethiopia, church history-wise, for a long, long time. And this is one of Christ's people, and it is as if from heaven, Jesus is saying, now, Philip, we're not going to let him get away until he hears the gospel by which he's going to be saved. Love that. Verse 28. And he was returning and sitting in the chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. You want to know why these details are all significant? Well, let's think about this. One, assuming he's a Gentile man, let me ask you a question. Where did Gentiles worship? Did, did they, were they allowed in the temple? No, in the court of the Gentiles outside of the temple. That was it. Not only that, but think about who this is. This is a eunuch. He couldn't come into the temple either because he was emasculated or mutilated. In Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it says those who are castrated or mutilated, the eunuchs, they're not permitted to come into the temple. That was the blemish that prohibited him from ceremonial worship in the Old Testament. So on two counts, this guy is prohibited from worshiping God in his presence, even though he still came to Jerusalem to worship. But he's from Ethiopia. And in the Old Testament, there are specific promises to the people of Ham, and often those people, the Hamites, are represented by the empire of Ethiopia. For example, in Psalm 68, 31, Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Psalm 87, 4, I believe Brother Brock preached this. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with... This one was born there. These are literal promises. And when the early church people saw people of Philistia, people of Ethiopia stretching out their hands to the Lord, they did what you ought to do. They said Jesus is fulfilling the promises he made in the scriptures. One more, Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones will bring my offerings. Here's Jesus, who is alive, and he's at work in heaven. He has already begun working in the eunuch, and we know that because what do we find the eunuch doing? He's reading, and not just, this is significant, because he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, notice what Philip does. Notice the ministry that, that Philip has in verses 29 and 30. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading, which means he's reading out loud Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? That's a good question, by the way. I want to stop here just a moment. This is going to be one of our lessons here. But let me ask you when you read the scriptures, do you always understand what you're reading? No. Do you care about what you're reading? Do you care that you understand what you're reading? I hope so. And listen, this is an important question to ask. Right? What happens if you take chemicals and you don't know what chemicals you're working with and you mix them up the wrong way? Right? You can burn yourself or blow yourself up. When you're dealing with the Holy Scriptures, you've got to be careful how you use them. So Philip asked a good question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the answer is even more significant in verse 31. And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
The word he uses for guides is, I mean, it's literally the word guide, just to show me the way. We're gonna come to this lesson, but I wanna make this point. See, I, I find that there are two extremes that people approach scripture interpretation. One view is the view that the church at Rome has, right? It says the only way you understand the scriptures is the way Mother Church tells you to understand the scriptures. Well, we know that's not correct, right? Because the believers in Berea, right, uh, they, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they searched the scripture to see if these things were so. Not only that, 1 Peter 2 calls the church, the believers in Christ, a royal, holy priesthood. And so that's the view in Rome. And that's an extreme on one end, but I really do think, I've been convicted of this, that there, we go to an extreme on the other end. That there is another view that says I can read my Bible and I don't need anyone to instruct me in it. And let me tell you, I love you. If that's your view, it's foolishness. Do you understand Greek and Hebrew? You understand the context and the connection? So, so this eunuch says wisely, how can I understand unless I have a guide to lead me through it? So he asked Philip to come and sit in his chariot and apparently Philip looked at the text because he's reading that place in the scriptures and he says this in verse 32 through 34. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shear it's silent. So he does not open his mouth and humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom did this prophet say this? You know why? Because Jews at that time read this enigma to them and the last thing they thought of was that this was speaking of a Messiah who would be a suffering servant. Because their Messiah wasn't going to be a suffering servant. What was he going to be? King. King. He certainly wasn't going to suffer because he was going to make everybody else suffer. That was their view. So he says, is this Isaiah? Because we know according to church tradition, what happened to Isaiah at the end of his life? Church history says that Isaiah actually got sold in half, by the way. Prophet of God, loved Christ, ended up getting sold in half. So he's saying, is this speaking of Isaiah or is this speaking of Israel? It's a typical question one would ask, especially when there's a, a novice understanding of the text. But note the next verse in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, that's always good when you're evangelizing, by the way, and beginning from this scripture, which is in Isaiah, he preached Jesus to him. I love this. It says beginning here. It doesn't say that he stayed on these verses, but beginning with those, he preached Jesus to him. Now, you may hear that what he said was, all right, we started in Isaiah, but now let's go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's the problem with that? Didn't exist yet. <laughs> it probably wasn't even written yet. And so I love this because he, from the scriptures... The Old Testament scriptures preached Jesus to him. You know why? Because the Old Testament, get this, it's about Jesus. <laughs> it always has been. It's always about Jesus. He didn't say, now you're in Isaiah, let me take you to Matthew Mark, because those didn't exist. 
He took Isaiah and he told him about Jesus. And so I want us to look together with Isaiah 53 just quickly. It's going to be on the screen, but if you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to. We're going to be around this area a lot. And I want us to just imagine that we're in this conversation, right? We're with Philip and the eunuch. We're maybe one of the guards here. We're just listening in. And let's imagine we're reading it in the Greek Old Testament, even though we have our English scriptures. I can imagine him saying, after reading what is in verses 7 and 8, and after telling him of the oppression and affliction of Christ, who was led as a lamb to the slaughter, the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, who was as a sheep before its shearers, who was silent, my guess is that there were probably tears in Philip's eyes as he spoke about Jesus didn't open his mouth and he was taken from prison literally and from the the place of Pilate's judgment literally and was literally cut off from the land of the living and then I think he would have said notice O eunuch he did this for the transgression of his people that he was stricken eunuch It was for sin that he was put to death. And my guess is Philip would have taken the time to say, look at verse six of that scroll you've got. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. He he would have surely told him about sin because Jesus doesn't make any sense if you don't know about your sin. Jesus, Savior, Deliverer. We will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. So, of course, he has to tell them about sin. So, we'd say to them, beginning at this text, eunuch, you've you've gone astray. All of us have turned away. And this is important because I think, I think, church, I think sometimes people think of Jesus solely as a rewarder. That Jesus has come into this world to give me a plaque, to give me a ribbon, a reward, a good thing because I've been a good little boy scout or a good little cub scout in the kingdom of God. We have that view. Sometimes we treat him that way. That's not why Jesus comes. Jesus comes like a doctor in an ambulance making house calls. He comes to people who are sick and dying. He comes to people who have gone astray and messed their lives up in the way that we have all messed our lives up. So he says to the eunuch in Isaiah 53, 6, he says once again, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Church, your sin can be in only one of two places. It can be on you, which if that happens, that's, that's a big problem for you because you'll be damned under the guilt of your sin unless you come to Christ, or it'll be on Christ, in which case he takes all of it and takes it away from you. Philip would have said something like this to the eunuch. He would have said this about the meaning of Christ, the, the fulfillment of all the ceremonies, which is why he goes on in verse 10 of Isaiah 53 to say these words, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. I can imagine Philip saying to the eunuch, that's why you're here, so that your sins may be taken away. And and church, that's the gospel, isn't it? 
It's the most glorious of messages. He opened up the scriptures and he told them all about this Jesus that had come back into history for his people. I want you to leave your finger in Isaiah 53. We're gonna come back and let's note this story in Acts chapter eight and see what happens here. Because this is, this, is, this is fantastic. In Acts chapter eight, there's this amazing section here, beginning in verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, a profession of faith. You got a profession of faith here, amen. Verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Amen. Went down into the water. My Presbyterian friends, if they're just sprinkling here, why, why go to the water at all? Get somebody with a cup. Get somebody who just grabs some on their hand and just sprinkles a little bit. They go into the water to be immersed. Stay here, eunuch. I'll go get my hands and get them wet and splash you. Now, now look at this. They came out of the water and something else happened. But here's the question. Here in Isaiah 53, we have him telling the eunuch about Jesus and the eunuch says in response to this, I need to be baptized. Where do you get baptism out of that section? Go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 53. And notice that that section of Isaiah 53 really starts in Isaiah 52, 13. Speaking of Jesus, not of Isaiah or Israel corporately, but of Christ, look at what it says in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant will prosper he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man, thus he will sprinkle many nations. And I know you're saying, okay, well that says sprinkled. Do you know what that's referring to? That sprinkling is the same sprinkling they would do in the sacrificial system where they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the offering seat. And they didn't, they didn't sprinkle the offering seat, by the way. They splashed the offering seat. The mercy seat they covered with blood over and over again. They covered with blood. That word is actually the word immersed and could be considered dunked. It really could considered that dunk. But this is the idea. Think about this. What does that mean? He's going to sprinkle many nations? It's the work the priests did when they sprinkled the blood on the object and need to be cleansed. It meant that this Jesus is going to cover, immerse, not just believing Jews with his cleansing work, but many nations as well. And I can see the eunuch saying this, okay, I, well, wait a minute. This says for the transgression of his people. I'm not a Jew, I'm, I'm an Ethiopian. Ah, Philip says, He's going to sprinkle many nations, including Ethiopia. There are many more he could add in this reference. In fact, in chapter 54, the eunuch may say, I don't know. I came all the way up to Jerusalem to worship. How do I know this is for me? Isaiah 54, verse 1. Shout for joy, O barren one. You have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Did you catch that? Do you catch what he's saying here? 
He's saying that there's actually gonna be more Gentiles that come to the Lord than even Jews. Verse 52, enlarge the place of your, verse two of, of Isaiah 54, sorry. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, spare not, lengthen your cords and strengthen your tents. That's the language of dispersion of the peoples after the curse on Babylon. It's now being used to be used with the spread of the gospel. Isaiah 54, three, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Eunuch, this is you. You are going to be the one to be immersed ultimately by Christ, cleansed by him, and then you're gonna be a first fruit of those nations. I can imagine him going, I'm a eunuch though. I'm not even permitted to go into the temple. And I can imagine Philip saying, well, we've got some time left. Let's turn to chapter 56. Now, this is exciting. People talk about it all the time. I don't read the Old Testament. It's boring. Are you kidding me? It's thrilling. Isaiah 56, 3. Look what it says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say. And remember what baptism is. It's a symbol of being united with the Lord through faith. It's the outward expression of a believer, one who has already believed in the gospel through faith, being united to the Lord that way. It's an outward expression of an inward union marked out as of a part of his people. And look what he says, let the foreigner, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. I'm going to repeat that. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain, the presence of God at the holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares yet others I will gather to them to those already gathered. I can imagine this is all in Isaiah four or five chapters apart from the scroll that this man's reading. This is remarkable. I can imagine this being the kind of thing that Philip would have said. You a part of the outcast, a child of God. You've been chosen, even though you're going back to Ethiopia, you're part of the fulfillment of this promise that's, that's given here. And now we go back to Acts to wrap this, this story up. It's amazing here. We've got a little pond. There's an Ethiopian, one prohibited from going to the temple, one who would have known his guilt He's saved, he's baptized, he's showing an outward expression that he's been inwardly cleansed, and then he rejoices in verse 39, and this text is encouraging. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Well, we kind of want to know what happens, right? What's the aftermath? He went on his way rejoicing, but what happened after that? Well, the only thing we know from tradition 
is that the eunuch did go back to Ethiopia and Arrhenius, one of the early church fathers, simply records that he brought the gospel over there. He went away rejoicing and he began telling others about Jesus. And then note Philip in verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. You say, well, okay, well, that's a weird way to end this story, right? Why, why is that there? Because he literally went due west. Azotus, that, that A word that's there in the text, is in Ashdod. Ashdod is one of the five main cities of the Philistines. Remember the Philistines? The uncircumcised or violent against the living God? And he moved his way all the way out to Caesarea and began once again bringing gospel to the half-breeds, to the outcasts, to the enemies of Israel, because that's what the gospel does. It's a beautiful story, and it's rich with all of its significance. So with very few minutes left, there's lessons we got to learn here. Five. Number one is this. We really talked about this last week, but I wanted you to have this written down because it's here too. Not everything in Acts is our standard for how we do things today. Not everything in Acts is our standard for what we do today. You see, at the beginning of this text, we saw that Philip was supernaturally led here. An angel of the Lord came and spoke to him. That doesn't happen that way today, right? An angel of the Lord didn't come to Pastor Justin Hartzell about six or seven years ago and say, hey, stop what you're doing. I'm an angel. Go to South Korea. That's not, that's not what happened. See, this in Acts is an extraordinary call. It's extraordinary. The Spirit said, it says to Philip in verse 29, the Holy Spirit doesn't typically whisper in ears. And I, I think it's important for us to know this because we like to think that's the main way the Spirit speaks, that still small voice. Friends, we've got to debunk that. The main way the Spirit speaks is through the Word of God. And I think as a country and as a culture in Christianity, we've become too reliant on what we think is the Holy Spirit whispering in our ear and we've forgotten that He's spoken completely insufficiently through the Word of God. And so I want you to see this. This isn't a standard of the way the Spirit works always. This is a particular descriptive story of how the Spirit works. Not only that, if that were the case, the Spirit transports Philip. He doesn't do that now, right? There's no, I haven't heard a lot of stories of Christian teleportation, right? Where I'm just here and then I'm at the back of the church all of a sudden. If that were the case, I would just pray the Spirit would never have me walk ever again. Like I would just teleport everywhere. That would be kind of awesome, but that's not how it happens. This is an extraordinary time of ministry. And so the Spirit is doing extraordinary things. And today we have ordinary calls. Ordinary means, but no less a means of the work of the Spirit. So that's lesson number one. Not all things in act, Acts are standard. Number two, when you read the scriptures, it is good for you to have guides. You need guides. It's not enough just to read the scriptures, although please do. It's important that you have a guide. It's important that you know who you're listening to preach or whose commentary you're reading. Read trusted guides. It's important. Now, I, I love this because you know many of you have come and asked me a Bible question. I, I love Bible questions. I, God called me to this church and I, I don't have all the answers, but 
I, I have some people that I trust who are opening up the scriptures to see that these are things are so, and I'm one of those. And so talk about the Bible. Don't, don't just read it and expect for you to learn just by reading it. Have a guide. Get a guide, someone who will help you in the midst of Bible study. It'll be vitally important to you. Lesson number three. This one's simple. Tell people about Jesus. Amen. It's evangelism. And here's what I love. Christ is in all the scriptures. You don't have to strain to do this. He's everywhere. Creation points to Jesus. The flood, it's about Jesus. Abraham's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Moses, you want to talk about the law of Moses? You need to keep it perfectly. You can't. You know who did? Jesus. You want to talk about David? Let's talk about David's greater son, Jesus. The major prophets, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. The minor prophets, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. Folks, tell people about Jesus. He's all in the scriptures. Covers every, every asset of life you might think of. He's there. The gospel, evangelism, lesson four. Go your way rejoicing. Go on your way continuing to rejoice. Joy. Notice the eunuch. Win his way rejoicing. Do you? Friends, listen, there are times for melancholy. There are times for sadness. But I really think the predominant note of the Christian life is joy. Here's why. Forgiveness of sins. An outcast. One hated. People of a burnt skin who, let's be frank, are still hated by all too many today. But Jesus died for people of every tribe, tongue, nation, and that ought to make us rejoice I know you're convicted of sin. I know you're struggling with your sin and keep struggling, keep fighting. But there's a great Jesus who says, as you look to me in the multitude of my comforts, I will delight your soul. You rejoice. Keep on rejoicing. The last lesson is this, and I love it the most. Here's the church. It's a bunch of outcasts, Samaritans, and an Ethiopian even though he was rich, who was still despised by many, even though he was excluded from the temple, this man becomes part and parcel of the church. Why? Because faith in Christ levels everybody. The baptismal waters do not have a color prejudice. And if you repent and cast your faith upon the Lord, it means you are one, united with him. And that's a glorious truth because it's why you're here. Which is why, friends, listen to me. It's why whoever walks through those doors will be welcomed by God's church despite the color of their skin. I'm reminded of the wonderful little song our, our children love to sing. Jesus loves the little children and adults too, don't worry. All the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves eunuchs. They love Jims, Hams, and Japheth. The origin of that hymn is in Acts chapter 8. And praise God, because it's the reason why we're here. All right, we've got two minutes for questions and thoughts. <laughs> You're welcome. No, we have plenty of time, as much time as you want for questions and thoughts. Anything at all? I had never heard of Ham. 
Ham? <laughs> Hamites? Ham. Yeah. yeah. No. no, like ham, like pork. That's the name. Yeah, no. Yep. All Noah's three sons, right? <laughs> Survive the flood, begin to disperse and populate the earth. Yeah. So now you have an answer when your kids ask you questions. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting to me that you read over in Zephaniah or somewhere mm-hmm. the Lord was sending all these people. Yeah. And this guy had come to church, you know, to, to worship and all, but yet he wasn't a Christian. So he's a early day seeker, I guess you would call it. Or? Yeah, the, 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 the text in Zephaniah is, pr- is prophetic. And, and really in those, those prophetic texts, is it, it's crazy because Ethiopia was kind of like how you would consider uh, if they said Judah, you know, or they said uh, the Babylonians. It was, a, it was an empire that kind of represented all the people of Ham. And so anytime you saw uh, Ham or Ethiopia in, in the scriptures prophesied, it was the, it was the entire empire it was a representative of the people of, of color. And so it was prophesied not only that those nations would receive Christ, but this particular eunuch, a eunuch would come, which is what's so amazing that he goes to Isaiah 53 there. And Isaiah 56 is all about the eunuch coming to Christ. He's reading through this and not only just the eunuch, but the Ethiopian eunuch. And so um, he was a seeker. He, he did, uh, he was a searching for the scriptures and yet it wasn't until the Lord opened his eyes and he received salvation that became saved and then he took it back with him which is so important and vital I love it yeah yeah it's Becky the queen sent him sure man he certainly could have been an emissary you know the queen's not going to let her treasure go very far so certainly could have been an emissary he could have even been just popping in for worship because it was a time of the feast who knows very very well very true Justin Absolutely. And we actually saw a picture of it in, in John chapter 4, right? You remember, you remember in John chapter 4? Jesus has to say, I, I've got to go by the way of Samaria, even though it's completely out of the way. Why? Because he had an appointment there with the woman at the well. She was going to hear the gospel. And I listen, I don't know how that works, but I know that the reason that Cody Page got saved is because there was a divine appointment on a particular day and the gospel was preached at a particular time. And I was brought to repentance by the, a particular faith that God gave me and granted me in his goodness. And that's something we all pray for. Amen. God would grant that to our loved ones. And at the same time, he would cause them and bring them to faith in his son, Jesus. Yeah, man, this is amazing stuff. Divine appointment. Have you had yours? Oh, I hope you have. I hope you know that if you have, it wasn't by just some, any random accident. It was a gracious God being more merciful to you than you ever thought you possibly could deserve. And if you haven't, it could be right now. Have it now. Miss Brenda. So the unit was probably born a Jew. Right. It, some people, some people argue that he was, but I don't think so. Um, and the reason is, is because though he was coming in for worship, um, it, it doesn't. It just says Ethiopian eunuch in the text. We, so we would assume he's an Ethiopian and he's a eunuch, and uh, in, in, in that natural context. And so I don't think he was he was Jewish. Although some people argue that, and so I don't ultimately know. But I think I think he was Ethiopian. Then was Ethiopia. Because of Ham and his descendants, was it then mostly, um, say, 
ritually Jewish? Well, it would, would be, except from Shem came Abraham. Right? So you had Noah, Noah's son Shem, the Semites, and out of that Semite people was Abraham, where God says, your nation I'm going to bless and be my peoples, and that would be Israelites. So they would never tie themselves directly back to the Israelite. It would be the same way by saying we all come from Adam, that they would all say we're all Jewish. Uh, but that, that's not the case, uh, because Abraham was given the promise in Genesis 12 after Genesis 6 when they dispersed. Mm-hmm. Good question. Somebody else? Yes? I think on both levels, right? I think on, on, initial, on initial people level, uh, faith levels everybody initially because we're all made in God's image. And yet I think Paul deals with this in Galatians a lot too because after there, there are two sides who are acting like they're repentant and saved and they're Jew and Gentiles and they're, they're, not, they're not treating on the same level. And I think, I think we, can, we can deal with that even today with people who are, we say are of just of different cultures and they just, they probably wouldn't fit in here because it's just not their culture, which makes uh, your pastor's blood boil because we're all united in Christ and because we're all level at the cross and because there's no different type of grace that was brought to them that's brought to us. Uh, and so I think, I think understanding that yes, we're level in a, in a general sense where we're all made in the image of God, but in particular, in faith, there isn't sort of um, a, a, no room for prejudice in, in the scriptures when it comes to faith. Um, yeah. My son is teaching uh, on school at Trinity, mm-hmm. Christian. He, he teaches like seventh grade, and they're black 60% yeah. black over there. Mm-hmm. And so he taught through the creation and all, you know, and then said, then through Shem and Ham and Jacob, one of boys raises hand says, Brother Tim, does that mean we're all cousins? <laughs> yeah, in a, in a very distant way, yes we are, yeah, yeah. Very distant cousins, fantastic, I love that. <laughs> Any other questions or thoughts? Uh, thank you for your participation tonight. I love you, church. I love opening the word of God with you. Let's go to the Lord uh, and, and pray with him now. Father, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful section of scripture uh, that even our children learn, Father, that we can, we can just come in and picture uh, the chariot and the eunuch and the color of his skin as we picture him sitting there reading his Bible out loud. We picture Philip uh, getting up there with excitement and opening his mouth and speaking to him the scriptures, not murmuring, but, but telling him all of these wonderful things. And we can get some of that from Isaiah 53. And we picture this eunuch's salvation and his baptism. And we picture him going back rejoicing. We, we get to picture Philip going up to the coast and, and sharing the gospel even more of the Samaritans and telling them uh, that within Christ, the, the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, it's broken down. It's gone forever. Jesus doesn't come and preach, Father, partial peace to one and full peace to other. He preaches peace to those who are near and to those who are far away. So, Lord, let us see that this is not your plan just for the New Testament, but for the ages, particularly, 
Lord, for our own day and time that the people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, of every skin color and language are meant to hear of the one Savior so that they might come to him in repentance and faith. Lord, whether we be red, yellow, black, white, children or adults, may we come to Jesus tonight and say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace, that you were wounded for our transgressions, that you were bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement for my peace was among you, and by your stripes we are healed. Lord, don't let any of us think that we're excluded for any reason. Remind us, Lord Jesus, that you are the great doctor who comes and makes house calls to those who are dying, to those who are outcasts. Lord, may we live in this truth, live in light of it, may it change our lives daily to love you and praise you for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.